Well, good morning, everyone. Let's uh, go ahead and get started. We appreciate y'all coming into the sanctuary as we start our morning together today and talk about Sunday school for a little while, and then our then we send our children off to their classes. So, thank you for doing that. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Father, thanks very much for our day together this morning. We thank you for your great love and your grace. We thank you that you have called us to this place. We thank you for the unique and wonderful activities that will take place today here in this building. We thank you for the fact that we have a Sunday school department and we have children and teenagers and adults that are committed and, and sold out to that concept of being here to study the Bible in this format, in this way on a regular basis. And we are just so grateful for that. We thank you that you have equipped and uh, laid on the hearts of, of men and women uh, that they should teach and that they should instruct. And Lord, we just pray that you would um, reward them and, and bless them for their efforts as they teach in the Sunday School Department. We thank you again for our day, the things that are before us, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, do appreciate you coming, and as we start in here with our uh, talk about Sunday School a little bit, uh, today is Promotion Sunday. Sunday school is such an incredibly great and important thing. I, um, I believe that, that Sunday school changes a church. It's just not the thing that you do on Sunday morning. It's just not a habit that needs to be a part of your life. Sunday school, to a certain degree, is the backbone of a church. I have always believed that. I've always felt like Sunday school is incredibly important. Foundational teaching goes on during the Sunday school hour. Uh, foundational theology. The theology that we get from going to Sunday school is phenomenal. We are introduced to theology, deep theology. Sometimes the, the terms aren't used the way that they're going to be used later on, but the idea is introduced, and people are learning theology in Sunday school classes. There is a working knowledge of the Bible that is gained in Sunday school that you really don't gain anywhere else. Uh, one of the things that we do, you as parents know this, I'm not sure everybody knows this, is that we give out Bibles. Uh, we give out Bible storybooks, and then we give out Bibles at two different times as they go through our, our Sunday school um, departments so that they will have a Bible and they, will, they understand and know how to use the Word of God. We, we make sure that that happens. Practical Christianity is taught during the Sunday school hour. And it's just good stuff goes on. So thanks for being committed to it. Um, I would encourage you to tell everybody you know, hey, why aren't you in Sunday school? Bring your children to Sunday school. Come to Sunday school. Be in Sunday school. It's an incredibly important thing. So we just want to introduce the people that make Sunday school work and acknowledge them. And then we're going to dismiss our children and, and let them go. So out. Uh, Ricky Thompson is our Sunday school superintendent. And, and so uh, he does a good job and he's... Uh, doing more and more on a regular basis, and we appreciate all that he does. Um, we have, uh, I want to have everybody, I want to have everybody who has taught in Sunday school this past year, if you have taught in Sunday school this past year, stand up for a moment, okay? If you have taught in Sunday school, stand up for a moment, all right? Thank you very much. We appreciate it. You do a good thing, and and it's really very valuable, and I hope that you understand that, and I hope that you cherish the fact that, that Sunday school matters, okay? So we uh, want to um, introduce our teachers who are doing what they're doing right now um, in the particular things, and then we'll dismiss our children to go to their classes. Um, we have combined some classes this year. Our attendance is a little lower, 
And because we have the Gospel Project, it's an easy thing to rearrange our numbers. This is not completely unusual or different. We evaluate um, usually at the end of the school year, which is what this is for us as we begin a promotion. We evaluate our numbers, take a look, and then we, we join and combine and do what needs to be, to be done uh, so that that works out. So we do have a nursery during the Sunday School Hour. Obviously, you guys, uh, hopefully you know that, you're aware of that. We do have a nursery. And Cindy Bruner is the one that has very faithfully manned that and, and doesn't let those kids go unattended and then she's worked real hard to get a bunch of other people who are a part of that right now and and so there is a rotating uh, group of people that are working in the nursery on a regular basis and uh, we uh, we really appreciate that we'll let you go last okay because your children aren't going to walk back there probably all right some of them so we'll let you go last um, in fact I think that we'll uh, we'll do this backwards today so our junior high and our high school if you are going into 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, or 11th, 12th grade, I missed one there almost, didn't I? If you're, if you're going into 7th grade or above, um, you can be dismissed. Brian and Julie Height and John Bangs take care of our teenagers, and thank you very, very much. You guys be nice to those new 7th graders that are coming in. All right? Yeah, it's a big move for them, isn't it? And then we're, then we're taking, our, in our elementary ages, we, we have three classrooms is what we do. We have, we have pre-kindergarten and kindergarten are in one class. And uh, then we have our, our first, second, and third graders are in one class. And our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders are in one class. And as we've shared with you, um, you know, all the materials the same, so that's a cool thing. Our, our pre-K and our kindergarten... Um, it was pre-K. We've added the kindergartners to them. Sue Patterson has been our teacher, and she's been doing that for quite a while. Um, some of you know that Sue really um, had a rough go with her surgery a while back. It was her knee, and then they discovered the um, blocked uh, bowel and caused all sorts of difficulty. Well, she's still not done struggling with that. And in fact, she was uh, over in Durango at the hospital again just the other day, um, had to go over. And, and uh, Sue is having to step down from teaching for right now, and, and uh, she is really down about that. And, and she's really frustrated about what's going on with her health right now. If you could be praying for her, we'd appreciate that. So Sue is stepping down from being that teacher. The teacher for our pre-K and our kindergarten is Paula Pitgornoff. They're not here today, so she's not here, unfortunately. They um, have some other family commitments today. So um, one of the things that we have going on because we're combining is we have Teresa Reynolds is working with Margie Pauls, and also Teresa's kind of being a floater on occasion, and she's helping out there. And so Teresa is going to be taking care of our pre-K and our kindergarten. So um, that's what that class is going to be. We're going to miss everybody at once, I think, is what we're going to do here. Then our first, second, and third grade is Margie Pauls, and Teresa Reynolds, and they are teaching that. And then our fourth, fifth, and sixth grade is Cynthia Slider. So that's our elementary grade. So we have our nursery, and then we have the pre-K, kindergarten, first, second, and third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. So we'll dismiss from the older kids out, and thank you very much, and again, thank you for teaching. So with Mrs. Slider, if you're going into fourth, fifth, or sixth grade, you may be dismissed and go to your class, all right? And you fourth graders, be nice to her. She's really nervous about you. Usually the teacher's got to be nice to the students, but we need the students to be nice to her. So that's a pretty good-sized group. If you are going into first, second, or third grade, 
you may be dismissed with Mrs. Poles. Is Mr. Poles going or are you stand? And Mr. Poles, all right? First, second, or third grade. And then if you are going into kindergarten or are not yet in school, you're in preschool, you can be dismissed with Mrs. Reynolds, all right? There she is. You can go with her, all right? You going to go, Jacob? Yeah. Mrs. Reynolds, turn around and wave your arms here. Let's see if this little fellow will come up there. Not quite. All right. And then, parents, you can give your children to Cindy and who was with her? Uh, Lindy was helping out. Or you can deliver them to the nursery, whichever you prefer. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Give a... Give a word of thanks and appreciation to our teachers every once in a while. It's, uh, it's an important, important thing. You know, we should have done this, and, and maybe we'll do this another time, but uh, I should have asked. Uh, one, of those, one of the things that happens in Sunday school is you, you start teaching Sunday school because you really enjoy Sunday school, and then you end up doing it for years. We should have asked the teachers how long they've been doing it, and that's exactly what happens sometimes. So, and they don't mind that because they would stop eventually if that was the case, that they enjoy teaching. So thank them every once in a while. Just even if you don't have children in that class, say, hey, thanks for instructing our children. We appreciate it, all right? It's a, it's a week after week thing that they need to do, and, and sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, but uh, they do it week after week. So um, give a word to them and say thank you very much every once in a while, and uh, they would appreciate that very much, all right? We have a great Sunday school department here. All right, uh, our lesson today is we begin a new quarter. This... Uh, this is our, we're beginning our, um, our seventh month in the Gospel Project. We've done two full quarters, and, um, and so we've done that. One of the things that we're starting to do with the Gospel Project um, in our adult class, and I have a list of people that I want to be talking to, is we want to uh, expand those who teach. We want to have a few more adult men teach. So I'm going to be, I have a list of people I'm going to be talking to, but if you would like to be a Sunday school teacher once in a while, why don't you contact me as well? Say, hey, I'm willing to teach. We'll give you the quarterly. We'll walk you through it. We'll help you out. We'll do your thing. Uh, we're not asking you to teach every single week, but we are asking you to teach maybe once or twice a quarter is what we're doing. And so we're going to start doing that on a regular basis. But if you'd like to teach, say, hey, I think I would like to teach. We would love to have you do that. So we're starting a new quarter. One of the things that, that you are aware of, I think, I'm not sure if I went into detail with this, is that, is that when we started doing the Gospel Project, we thought the Gospel Project was completely and totally an undated quarterly. That is, it simply dealt with starting in Genesis and going through, and it would end in Revelation eventually. Once we ordered the material, we found out that that was not the case. It was indeed designed to start in September of uh, 2015, which means that it had Christmas lessons in it and Easter lessons in it, okay? But we didn't start in September of 2015. We started in January of 2016. So we are constantly behind, and every once in a while, we have dated material that we need to deal with. So today is our resurrection lesson, okay? So all of the children today are getting a resurrection lesson, which isn't any big deal, right? Right? Who said that you could only talk about Jesus being raised from the dead on that holiday called Easter? Who made that rule? Who? Man. So, and a bad guy at that, that they decided to do that. Who said we can't sing up from the grave he arose in July? 
we should have done that today. I should have been thinking we should have sung resurrection songs today to go with our Sunday school lesson next time. Okay, so we're in, we're in a resurrection lesson today, and then next week we get back into um, our Old Testament. And last quarter, we were off a little bit because of the Christmas lessons, and I didn't coordinate it well. Uh, we've coordinated it this time, so I assure you this quarter... Uh, everything that goes on in here is what's going on down the hallway. Same exact lessons, okay? So last week we were a week off. Um, they did it first and then we did it right behind them for half of the quarter. So th it won't happen this quarter. We're where we belong. So everybody's getting a resurrection lesson today, all right? And so that's, uh, that's what we're studying, all right? So you guys are familiar with this stuff and you know it, uh, but it's good to be reminded on a regular basis. The theological theme today is... Death's inability to hold Jesus demonstrates the totality of his victory over God's enemies. The totality of his victory. That's an important word. His victory wasn't little. It wasn't partway. It was total and complete, all right? The Christ connection is obvious this week. For us and our salvation, the Son of God took on humanity. He humbled himself by dying on the cross for our sins. And he rose again to receive all praise and glory. And then the missional application, what do we do with all that? God called us to make our attitude the same as Jesus' attitude, and that's what our lesson is all about today, is look what the Lord did for us. Look what Jesus did and how amazing and wonderful it is. So we're going to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus, his triumph over death, and all that he did for us. Let's, took it, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, and that's our focus today, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus triumphs by give, giving up his status. Jesus triumphs by giving up his status. And that's an interesting phrase that we're going to cling to this morning. It says this in Philippians chapter 2. Let's just start in verse 1 and we'll read through this. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus triumphs, and that's our, our theme, our, our lesson is, is that... Jesus triumphs, that's the name of the lesson. Jesus triumphs by giving up his status. It is interesting to note, and it is important for us to note, that in a world where we usually measure status by what we can gain in one way or another, whether you've gained by collecting stuff or goods, whether you gain by achieving, whether you gain by notoriety of some other thing, activity or actions or whatever. Uh, 
we generally measure status by what we can gain. Jesus Christ showed us how the ultimate triumph came through what he gave. Or really what he gave up. So in Christianity, we have a lot of these things that we see the opposites many times. What normally you think works in the world, Christianity teaches is opposite. Um, love your enemies, for instance, rather than hating them and despising them, forgiving one another rather than holding grudges, those kinds of things. And the Bible teaches us it the same way as if we are really going to understand how to really become significant in life, what we need to do is not be concerned about what it is that we get, but be concerned about what it is that we give. What is it that we're doing for other people? How are we looking beyond ourselves to live a life that is marked by what you give rather than by what you get? That would be a pretty good life to live, would it not? Let's look at a couple of verses real quick, or just one. Go to Matthew, and again, you will know this verse. Matthew chapter 1. These are very familiar verses to us today. Do you guys remember, do any of you remember um, what we did one time? It was, uh, it was in August, no, August. no, it, uh, I can't do that, I can't do this backwards properly. Uh, do you guys remember when we did Christmas one Sunday, when we recognized that it would have been the angel came to Mary about nine months ahead of December? Anybody remember doing that? We did Christmas songs that day and, and all of that. I just thought of that. Proving that you can do Christmas anytime you want, apparently. What month would that have been in? It would have been like March, right? Yeah. There you go. Th 12 minus 3 would be 9, right? <laughs> it still does. I know you've been out of education for a while, but it's still the same. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. When they had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is a hard thing for us to comprehend and conceive, but just from this little verse, let's ponder this idea. For the, it says, do not be afraid to take her, for the child who has been conceived in her. So how big is a child who has been conceived? Little bitty. That's probably the best description we'll get. Okay, our expert left the room on this one. Itty bitty, little tiny, right? Very small. Microscopic, I mean tiny. Was Jesus that small when he was conceived? Yeah. Can you comprehend such a thing? He grew in the womb as all children grow in the womb. He was alive in the womb for nine months. Isn't that amazing? Jesus gave that up. Jesus came into this world at what age? He was a newborn. Yeah, right, so I just want to remind you of that. He didn't come into this world walking around and teaching already, right? He came into the world as a newborn, which meant that Jesus was what when he came into the world? Helpless. So he gave up a lot, didn't he? He really did. It wasn't that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and said, I've noticed you all have a problem, and this afternoon I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to 
suffer and I'm going to go through the things that Isaiah talks about I, that the Messiah should go through and then tomorrow evening I'm going to, I'm going to be nailed to a cross and I'm going to die for, for your sins. He didn't do that. He came into the world like all of us come into the world. And he grew like all of us grew. And he lived like all of us live. And he didn't even start his public ministry, we're told, until he was about 30 years old. Isn't that amazing? When you comprehend what it is that Jesus Christ actually did for us and that he went through all of those steps. So understand this, and we've used this expression a lot, he lived his entire life in the shadow of the cross. Crucifixion was incredibly common during the days of the Roman Empire. This was their method of dealing with the worst of the worst. This was their method of, of making somebody suffer as much as they could make somebody suffer before they died. How often do you think it is that Jesus, in walking from point A to point B, saw a cross with a body hanging on it or the cross still up there with the, after a body had been taken down or whatever it may have been? I don't know how often, but I'll bet he saw it. And he lived his life in the shadow of the cross. And just a reminder, because it's so important, he lived his life in the shadow of the cross for what reason? Huh? Yeah, use, the, use different words that mean more to us. Yeah, keep going. For our sins. Good reminder every once in a while. Yep. Yes. It did. It, it, it was remarkable. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He left glory. And we think, you know, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, obviously. And, and every once in a while, you know, we, we go through that and remind ourselves. But we tend to jump to the end. And we forget that there was a lot that happened before the end that he did willingly for us. And he had that knowledge that I will be on the cross. I will pay that price for the sin. Okay. That's a pretty remarkable, significant thing. And Jesus Christ did that for us, okay? He did that for us. Let me read you this from our quarterly. It says this, and there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation, says J.I. Packer. It's true. It's a remarkable thing when you just ponder what it is that Jesus Christ did. Guyane used the word humble. Um, our quarterly says this, no one else did it. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. This feature so central to Philippians 2 that we read must find its root in Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53, summarize that. It is the chapter of the suffering Savior, okay, that he suffered. And the Old Testament laid out this picture of what the Savior would have to go through. And Jesus knew that too, didn't he? He knew that. This was not something that he just waltzed into, okay. And here's, here's what's interesting, in our, and I wanted to point this out because it falls on the heels of us studying a few of the sacrifices. It says this. Isaiah 53, it says, in fact, let's turn there and read these two verses that this refers to. Go to Isaiah 53, 
and we'll just read two verses. We'll come back to Isaiah. But Isaiah 53, listen to this, verses 7, 8, and 9, okay? He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. He, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Our quarterly points out something unique. In all of the sacrifices that we studied the last two weeks, and we just barely looked at them, but we did study them. When we look at the, all those sacrifices, there was a common thread through every one of those sacrifices. And that common thread through every one of those sacrifices was, comparing to Jesus, was what? Okay, blood. Yep, that's not where we're going, though. That's, that's a good, right answer. They were, they, were in, they were supposed to be perfect. Jesus was perfect. That's a good one. It's not where we're going. Okay. And that's fine. This was an interesting thought that came to me when I read the quarterly. They didn't have a choice. The animal was taken by the owner and said, it's your day to die. Now, I'm not putting any significance with animals here, okay? Don't misunderstand me. What I'm putting significance with is, Jesus came and said, I choose to die. That's exactly right. In Isaiah 53, our quarterly points out, it's the first time in all of Scripture we find a willing sacrifice. Okay? Now, you can go back and you can look at Abraham and, 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 and Isaac, and, you, and it's close. But it wasn't a sacrifice, was it? Okay? But we understand that the picture of Abraham and Isaac is a picture of what? Christ. He was a willing sacrifice. None of the other sacrifices were willing. He was a willing sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? And he lived his life understanding that I am going to do this for those people, okay, for humanity, for those who have sinned. Pretty remarkable stuff. Back to Philippians chapter 2. So he gave up his status, and it says that in these verses have this attitude in yourself, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Now, we have, a, we have some problems understanding that verse many times, but it's not as complicated as we make it on occasion. The bottom line here is this. Did Jesus Christ stop being God? No. Did Jesus Christ stop using his divinity and his deity willingly for a time? Yes. That's what this is talking about. And yet, we know that he never stopped using it completely because we, we see instances, instances in the gospel where he knew what people were thinking. Or he instantly left this place and went somewhere else when they were about to kill him and to take him by force. So he didn't completely do it, but by and large, what we understand is he gave up the use of his divinity, his deity, on a regular basis. He did not use those. He freely said, I will, in effect, put those things on the shelf during my time here. We have a handful of illustrations of that. The greatest illustration we get of that is when he was praying before his crucifixion. 
And he was agonizing over the fact about what he was about to do. And then we have him suffering and going through all of that and not stopping the process, not once. And he could have. He could have stopped the process anywhere along the line because he was God. Okay? We did see him um, manifest his, 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 his deity when they came to him and he said, who are you looking for and what happened? They all fell down. Okay? Obviously that was of God. Okay? So we see that he did it on occasion, but this verse, make sure that you never, never take this verse to mean that he stopped being God. He did not stop being God. Okay? He stopped exercising his godness, if you will, with very rare exceptions. Okay? He took on flesh. And the Bible tells us, in fact, that he took on flesh to such a degree that he struggled with sin like you do. Now, that's a tough one to understand too, isn't it? Because I know my struggle. How about you? It's pretty serious sometimes. And he struggled with sin. That's how much of a man he was. He struggled with sin, and yet the Bible says he never did sin. Okay? Pretty amazing, isn't it? Yes? Yes, the question is, was he not the perfect man, the last Adam? The answer is yes. He was constantly um, dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Yes, he says, so he's dependent, constantly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Yes. Was what ever, what a man should yes, yes, if you want to know what a spirit-controlled person looks like, read the Gospels, you see it in the life of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's exactly right. The Spirit filled him. We see that from the very beginning when he was in the womb. And we see it throughout his whole life. Very God and very man. Yep. Very God and very man. That's exactly right. Controlled by the Spirit of God. Absolutely right. So that's, that's something. The next one then. So any questions on that? The whole thing on this. Uh, this is called the kenosis passage many times. Kenosis emptying. And so it's taken on. Sometimes people have taken this and they run too far with it. And they, they make it say what it doesn't say. So everybody all right with that? The next one is this. Jesus triumphs by humbling himself to the cross, on the cross. So it says this, that verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Even the death on the cross. Because that is a pretty significant thing, that it was even the death on the cross. Jesus Christ was willing to die that terrible death. Let me read you from the quarterly. I think they did a pretty good job of this. The purpose of crucifixion was not merely execution, but humiliation. The person being crucified was stripped naked. Nails were driven through his hands and his feet. No discretion, no respect for the dead. This was a public spectacle meant to horrify passerby and humiliate the victims. It is estimated that during the Roman occupation of Jerusalem, more than 30,000 Jews were crucified. Their deaths occurred in the most public of places, and the crucifixion would sometimes last 24 hours or longer. Common for it to last 24 hours or longer. Okay? You remember the unique thing that happened with the death of Jesus Christ? Is that they suggested that they would do what? Maybe break his legs. And the reason why you broke a person's legs who was being crucified was why? Do you remember? Do you understand? 
Yeah, they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe. That's exactly right. You, you break their legs and they, asphyxiation would come much sooner because of all the things that were going on. And so they couldn't lift themselves up. Of course, they didn't break the legs of Jesus because that was one of the prophecies. Not one of his bones would be broken and he was already dead by the time they went to check on that. Um, so it was common for this to last for hours. Some accounts talk about days. All right. 30,000. The aim was a death after a slow, humiliating torture. To add to the humiliation, crucifixion was a nationalistic, racist act. A Roman was crucifying a Jew, okay? Romans weren't crucified. Jews were crucified, all right? This was, this was a pretty bad thing. Think about the irony of this for a moment. Christ was being killed by his own creation. As he looked in the eyes of the soldier driving the nails into his hands, he knew his name. He created this person. He knew that the soldier's deepest need was forgiveness. So as he was raised humiliatingly into the air, a suspended spectacle, naked between God and man, Jesus prayed for his executioners. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even though they were fulfilling God's plan while executing the Son, they had no idea what they were doing. Though God the Son, through God the Son, everything was created, Colossians tells us. The Son was lifted up on a tree that he gave life to. The people he created were people who shredded his flesh in this vivid scene, we see how the creator of life, the one with all the power, has not only subjected himself to the power of his creatures, but has given them the power to kill him. Ultimate humiliation. How could anyone ever sink to a lower humiliation than Jesus Christ on the cross? How could anyone ever give up more? We need to think about that every once in a while. And it's a good day for us to think about it as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We need to ponder that a little bit. The price that was paid for your life. It was a serious serious price and every now and again we need to be reminded of it let's look at some verses yes yes says that yeah it, yeah that's kind of an interesting thing that darkness was not everybody saw it. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I think the darkness certainly represents the fact that uh, there was that time period when he was our sin bearer and he took on the sin for us. And I, and I think it's important that you understand, make sure you realize this. Over 30,000 people were crucified during the, the time of Romans in, in Jerusalem, okay? So crucifixion was not all that uncommon. When Jesus Christ prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me, what was he talking about? Becoming sin. Keep that in mind. The huge failure, the huge failure with the movie years ago, The Passion, the huge failure of that movie was that they made the physical thing the thing. The physical thing was not the thing. The thing was... Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin. There's your three hours of darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus Christ was concerned with. The physical pain, I don't want to minimize it. It would have been horrible. But that did nothing for us. He became sin on the cross. Okay? So you need to keep that in mind. 
And the problem with many movies that do anything with Jesus Christ is that's where they blow it because they're not about to make that kind of a statement where they're trying to make millions of dollars and, and taking in all sorts of people, right? So be very careful about that. Understand that media blows that a lot, right? That's the issue. He became sin for us. Powerful, isn't it? Yes? Jesus, fully man, fully God, yes. It was at the time, yeah. Crucifixion was the ultimate punishment at the time. Absolutely. He did save those that deserved crucifixion. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing when you think about the whole thing. And it's good for us to think about the whole thing every once in a while, isn't it? Um, actually, look up just a couple of verses. We're going to run out of time here. Um, turn with me to, um, let's go to Romans chapter 12. We'll look up just a few verses and this is thinking about the humility that, that Jesus Christ willingly took on for us. And it says in Philippians there, it said, take this on yourself. Be like Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 16 says, do, or be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Have a different approach to life than what you've been told all your life. Um, look at things differently. Let's go to uh, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 10, or verse 4. Yeah, verse 10, I'm sorry. James chapter 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. It says that same thing over in Peter. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time. The Lord does want us to humble ourselves because we want to be like Jesus Christ. And just like Jesus Christ was then exalted and lifted up, the Bible says that if you humble yourself, who will exalt you? God will. Okay? And that's a matter of faith, isn't it? That we need to believe that, that God says that and he means that and that that's exactly how life will happen as we humble ourselves. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, this is who I am, and I want you to be like me. I want you to come alongside me and be like me, okay? The problem with humility in life, there's a couple of problems. One is the fact that, that we think that we're better than we are over and over again, and we think that we're wiser and smarter and more important and all those things than we really are. And the second thing about humility is that we want our pound of flesh on a regular basis. They owe me. I'm do this. And we have to give those things up if we're going to walk in Jesus Christ. And in order to give those things up, in order to give up all those things, what's the thing that needs to be a part of our life? What do we have to do in order to do that? 
be humble. But what do we got to do to be humble? What do we have to believe and cherish and cling to? Holy Spirit, because we need to believe what? That he's in charge and that God will make all things right. We have to believe that, right? It's a hard thing. We, we have to cherish that, that in the scope of things, God's going to make this work out and it'll be all right. That's a hard thing in life. That's what we need to try to do. Go back to Philippians chapter 2. Our third point is Jesus triumphs by raising again and receiving all praise and glory. So we saw that he did humble himself and then he was exalted. Verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We talk about verses every once in a while that says that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the whole world. Is that true? You bet it is. And here's why. The problem is not everybody acknowledges that. Just because they don't acknowledge it right now doesn't change the fact, right? He's still the Lord. And he has declared that he is the Lord. <clears throat> he, has, he has done what needs to be done. Okay? He says, this is what I've done. And he triumphed and he did what needed to happen here. The essential doctrine for this particular lesson is indeed Christ's exaltation. Whereas the death of Christ was the ultimate example of his humiliation, the resurrection of Christ from the dead is the first and glorious example of Christ's exaltation. Christ was exalted when God raised him from the dead, and Christ was exalted when he ascended to the Father's right hand. He will be exalted by all creation when he returns. All of these aspects work together to magnify the glory and the worth of Christ, resulting in the praise of the glory in his grace and in, re in rescuing sinners. You know what's interesting about that? As our quarterly points that out, and all of that is true, is that even after Christ's resurrection, an interesting thing happened. And that was many, many people still rejected him, right? Much of what the quarterly says happened hasn't really happened yet. Because life is not the way it needs to be yet, okay? Now, there will be a day, the Bible says, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Hadn't happened yet, okay? Even after his resurrection, even after declaring that, even after walking around and teaching and all of the witnesses and all of the evidence that Jesus Christ was alive, even then, he wasn't exalted properly. Okay? Things don't happen in our time, and things certainly don't happen the way we want them to happen very much at all, do they? Turn to 1 Corinthians, and let's read a couple of verses from this, the resurrection chapter. 15. It says this, beginning in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. By which also you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. The gospel, this is the gospel, this is it, right here, 
This is what happened of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And then more than 500 brethren at one time, most of who remained, but some have died already. And then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And least of all, he appeared to me, Paul says, in a unique way. He proved that he was who he says he was over and over again. Okay? And the issue isn't whether it happened or not. The issue is whether we believe it happened or not. Okay? It did happen. And there were incredible, infallible proofs over and over again. Continue reading here. Um, verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and you believed. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we have found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. It's always, it's always dangerous to take one event and say this is the most important event. Redemption is a big picture. And all of the events took place so that redemption would, would, would happen, all right? And so you want to be very careful about saying that this, because if you have the death only without the resurrection, it's incomplete. If you have the resurrection without dying for our sins, it's incomplete. If he didn't become sin. So we understand that it all works together, right? So the resurrection was the last part of the puzzle, if you will. Here was the last thing where Jesus Christ made it very clear, look, I have triumphed over everything. And we have the hope that we have today. We have the life that we have today. We have all of the incredible things that we cling to today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that was the last one where he said, look, it's all true. It is all true. And the resurrection means something to us because of that. And you all go to enough funerals. You know how important the resurrection is. It matters. We hear about that all the time. Our hope, that great hope. Okay? If Christ wasn't raised, we're not raised, and then death is death, and it means nothing. Okay? But because of the resurrection, death is not the end. It's just a transition from here to there. That's all it is, because of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Well, verse 20 then, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy will, that will be abolished is death. Okay? He is, he's accomplished all of these things. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Jesus Christ is alive, and he is God, and all things are subjected to him. And then we jump over to the end of this chapter. Verse 50 
Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is why death and resurrection are so important. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable would have put on imperishable, and this mortal would have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Because he is alive and it matters, it matters, it matters. Revelation 5.13 says this, And every created thing that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. He is alive. And it changes everything. Absolutely everything. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning as we've been reminded once again of the resurrection and how wonderful and amazing and overwhelming it is, the incarnation and what Jesus Christ has done for us. May we never take it for granted. May we never lose sight of it. Remind us of it and keep it in the forefront as we worship and as we praise you and as we exalt the risen Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.